All right, welcome back to From A to Arbitration. And today we're going to get back into some T-Rap. How's that sound? Get back into some T-Rap. Uh, it's on us. Starting September 1, it was on us, right? Data's starting back up. So we're going to keep uh, attacking that, getting you ready for things that are coming down the pike as far as that's concerned. Also, the residuals of those things. You know, the hour office time, red line policy, stop and drop, anything like that that comes up. I'm going to address it, and we're going to try to beat it, okay? So uh, had the red line policy is back on us, I'm going to touch on that, how we're going to beat that. I know that JB did a very good episode on it. I was sent some information via email that we're not supposed to have, kind of on the hush-hush. <laughs> I'm going to tell it to y'all today, all right? Y'all going to get some behind-the-scenes headquarters stuff on this podcast. Yeah, I can't tell the names of it, obviously, but we were sent some top secret type stuff. And so I'm going to share it with y'all today on this red line policy. It, you'll think it's uh, interesting. I'll put it that way. So we're going to deal with red line policy for the majority of this episode. Uh, I've got this T-Rap thing that a very good friend of mine wrote. I'm going to read that in its entirety. It's six pages, but it's very good. And so any time I can do something like that, get it on an episode so y'all have it and y'all can just listen over and over to it, I'm going to do that. Nothing more important going on right now than T-Rap other than discipline. Obviously, that's the most important thing. But T-Rap, it's on us and uh, we're in the midst of it. So we're going to keep educating ourselves on that, okay? I'm going to touch on a little bit of discipline. Had a, a unique conversation on Facebook about it. Uh, this person put up some discipline and I addressed it and another guy commented kind of like he was perturbed that I was defending the guy. So I'm going to address some things on that because <laughs> I'm never going to help management in discipline. I don't care. Uh, I will never help them in the disciplinary process by agreeing to nothing. So <laughs> we'll, we'll touch on that. But uh, in the next week, I'm going to continue on with T-Rap and any kind of residuals as far as that's concerned. Okay. So I'm going to read this thing that this friend sent me, uh, and then I'm going to touch on the the uh, knock and drop. JB had did a, had done a case about that where we went. I'm going to touch on that a little bit because of the individual last week where his person let him down. I'm going to touch on the knock and drop a little bit as far as packages. Then I'm going to get into this red line policy because it's coming, uh, and then I'm going to touch on this discipline, and then we'll get out of here. How's that sound? Hopefully it won't be three hours long today. But this uh, T-Rap information sheet was sent to me from a very good friend. And I'm just going to read it in its entirety. Okay, I think it's six pages long, like I said. So, But I think it'll help us while we're out here walking our routes, listening to this, riding our routes, doing whatever. Any kind of information we can get on the T-Rap, I'm putting it out there. Because it's, it's crucial right now, saving time on our routes. States this, TRAP is the newly agreed to joint route evaluation and adjustment process between the NALC and USPS. The MOUs that govern this process, M1982, 83, and 84, and I read those in prior episodes, can be found online at NALC.org. This document is intended to educate every letter carrier on the workroom floor about the TRAP process and how they can best protect their routes from unfair adjustments. While many features of the TRAP process are like joint route inspection processes of the past, 
The major difference is something called Digital Street Review, DSR. DSR is a USPS program that uses GPS and scan data to show a literal picture of a route each day. Your scanner drops breadcrumbs at one-second intervals while on the street and transmits that data to the DSR program. DSR will then show what that letter carrier did that day on a computer screen that looks like the GPS programs on your cell phone. You will get to see this during your consultations with a joint team called a Route Evaluation and Adjustment Team, or REIT Team, R-E-A-T, REIT Team, which is made up of one NALC representative and one USPS representative. It is important to remember, just like the GPS on your phone, our scanners are not perfect. This is where you play a vital role. We need you to explain the unique situations on your route during your consultations. If you continue reading this, you will have a better understanding of the TRAP process and the DSR program. Six events automatically deducted in DSR. Listed below are the six events that are automatically deducted from your route in DSR. These are the only events automatically deducted. Keep in mind, just because DSR classifies a block of time as one of these events doesn't mean that's what you are doing. It also doesn't necessarily mean the time will be deducted from your route in the end. The REIT will ask you about these events during your consultations. The first one, inside DU, delivery unit, so inside delivery unit. This is any time your scanner shows you inside the office after you have clocked to the street. If coming back to the office for any reason, to pick up parcels, express mail, etc., is a common occurrence, you should tell the REIT team during your consultation. Another one, lunch. Lunch times will be verified during your consultation. The third, outside route. This is any time DSR shows you outside the boundaries of your route. This time could be a restroom break if you use the restroom of your, off your route. You should let the REIT know if that is the case. Pivot. This is time DSR categorizes as a carrier delivering a split. Another, travel from other. This is time DSR categorizes as traveling from another route to your route. Travel to other. This is time DSR categorizes as traveling from your route to another. 12 events that are automatically flagged. Listed below are the 12 events that are automatically flagged if the associated time exceeds the parameters according to DSR. Just because an event is flagged doesn't mean the time will be deducted from your route. You will be asked about each flagged event during your consultation. And these are things that we've gone over before when I read these things. Event loading time, parameter 22 minutes. Unloading time, 7 minutes. Signature required scan, 3 minutes per delivery. Relay time, 1 minute, 35 seconds per delivery. Delivered other scan, 1 minute per delivery. Miscellaneous other, stationary, 7 minutes per event. Delivery type, business curb line, 32 seconds. Business other, 30 seconds. Business CBU centralized, 32 seconds. Residential other. 32 seconds. Residential curb line, 32 seconds. 
Residential CBU centralized, 30 seconds. The parameters above are not delivery standards. There are no delivery standards. They got that highlighted in all caps underlined. The parameters above are not delivery standards. There are no delivery standards. Okay? The parameters are used solely for the purpose of assisting the REIT in identifying potential anomalies. And like I said, I hate that stuff. I hate parameters, standards. I don't like any of it. But that is what it is. Okay? It is what it is. And that's what we're dealt with. Uh, but I told you about that email last week where that idiot was talking about these are standards. They're not standards. They're not standards, okay? If anybody tells you that these are standards, please contact your, your business agent so that he in turn can contact the REIT team guy for the district and tell him that management is on the workroom floor saying that these are agreed to standards because we got to nip that in the bud before it gets carried away, Okay. So I'm going to read that again. The parameters above are not delivery standards. There are no delivery standards. All right? Uh, you're going to be questioned about it. I've told you my, my opinion on that. I'm not going to keep dwelling on it. But just when you get in there, just tell the REIT team what it was. You know? I hate being watched on the street. Not because I'm doing anything bad, but because I, I'm working. <laughs> you know? I'm working every day. Uh, and here I've got management just loving the fact that they're going to be able to question me on something I do on the street. I don't like it, but nevertheless, just make sure that you tell the team exactly what happened. Loading time in DSR begins when you swipe to the street and ends when you leave the post office parking lot. If it takes you 45 minutes to load every day because you have to wait for a spot on the dock, then that's what it takes. Okay. You, you saw that thing a uh, few episodes ago where they came out with that. You get 30 minutes of load time. That sheet I told you about, remember they said uh, you get an hour office time, you get 15 minutes of this other time, you get 30 minutes of load time. No such thing. So that's what this thing says here. If it takes you 45 minutes to load every day because you had to wait for a spot on the, the dock, then that's what it takes. And that's exactly what I would tell the REIT team, okay? If it took you six minutes and 30 seconds to deliver a certified letter, signature required scan, because you had to wait on the customer to come to the door, then that's what it took. All right? Again, no standard. So if it takes you six minutes and 30 seconds, what this thing says, then just tell them that's what it took. I had to wait at the door. That's what it takes. If it took you four minutes to deliver a parcel, deliver it other scan, because you had to walk up a quarter mile long driveway, then that's what it took. Amen to that. Most of my routes, like I talked about in, in earlier episodes, they have no turnaround up at the top of these driveways, which means you cannot drive the vehicle up there because you'd have to back down, and that's unsafe. We're not going to do that. So my carriers have to walk all the way up this hill and deliver a package and walk all the way back down. Like I said, that clown last week with that email saying they get one minute, not three minutes, not a minute and a half, one minute. That's what we're talking about here. If it takes you six minutes, if it takes you four minutes, that's what it takes. That's just what it takes. And that's what it says here. Because you had to walk up a quarter mile long driveway, and that's what it takes. 
If it took you one minute to make a delivery to a curbside box, residential curb line, because you verified the address and name for each piece of mail, then that's what it took. The point here is letter carriers know what happens on their route every day far better than anyone or anything else, particularly an imperfect scanner and an imperfect computer system. Take your time during consultations and give our REITs all the ammunition they need to protect your route. And that's the most important thing in, in all of this. The most important thing in all of this is to take your time during consultations and give your REITs all the ammunition they need to protect your route. We have some very bright individuals on our side. And they are fighting. I see it all the time. A lot of good things are coming of this. Most of the bad things that you hear about are things that management's doing outside of this to cut us, to steal from us. That's, that's most of the bad stuff we hear about is management implementing things to circumvent these memos. The hour office time, red line policy, knock and drop parcels. Those are things outside of these memos that are directly related to these memos, if that makes sense. Management's going to do things outside of these memos to hurt us, to cut us, to steal from us. All right? And so that's what we're dealing with as far as the red line policy. I'm going to talk later about the knock and drop we talked about, about the 3996s last week, about the hour office time. Those are things we're going to deal with on this podcast, okay? But as far as the memos are concerned, they're, they're very straightforward and direct how things are going to be handled. Other street time events. For the purpose of your consultations, it is also important to know there are certain things that happen on the street that are considered non-recurring street time. These, these events will not count towards your street time and will be deducted from your route. Okay, These events will not count towards your street time and will be deducted from your route. Backtracking. Unless you're instructed to backtrack for out-of-order DPS. Two, animal interference. Three, waiting. Four, pivots. Lastly, vehicle accidents, breakdowns. Okay? So, again, well, I, I don't know. I mean, if I say that, if they tell me, you know, why are you backtracking and, and I know that I wasn't, that's what I'm going to say. Now, this GPS is, is spot on, you know. It doesn't care if you're a carrier or not. It's it's a snitch. It's just going to tell on you. <laughs> it has no preference. It, it's not management friendly. It's not union, union friendly. It's going to snitch on you because <laughs> it don't care. But to me, if I if it says you were backtracking, I'm going to take that time off, and I think back, and I'm like, hmm, I'm sorry, but I wasn't backtracking. You know, they may take it off anyway, but if I didn't do it, I'm fighting for myself, okay? If you tell the REIT team a flagged event was any of the above, the time will be allocated as such and will not be counted towards your route. The following events will count towards your street time and will not be deducted from your route. Okay, the following events will count towards your street time and will not be deducted from your route. Collection time, if it is part of your route daily. Customer contact, letter carriers assist customers all the time. It's part of our job, right? That's why we're called the postal service, because we provide a service. Deadhead time, driving along your line of travel to a different part of your route without delivering. 
Gas station. If you regularly put gas in your vehicle on the street. Parcel pickup. Personal needs. Replenish. Moving mail from the back of your truck to the front. Street brake. Could include heat brakes as well as 10-minute brakes. Y'all get that? When we're talking to these REIT teams, it says street brakes could include heat brakes as well as 10-minute brakes. So if I get in there and they say, man, you took four you know, separate brakes here. What's going on? There's four separate stationary events. What's going on there? Got overcome by the heat. Just got overcome by the heat, man. I had to, you know, I don't have one of these vehicles with air conditioning yet. So I was struggling on that day. I remember that specifically, how bad I was getting overcome by that heat. Probably should have went home, but I didn't try to tough it out. So y'all forgive me for that. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> so, <laughs> General overview. One of the goals of TRAP, as with any route adjustment process, is to adjust routes to as near eight hours of work per day as possible. Another goal of TRAP is to eliminate unfair adjustments that leave letter carriers with overburdened routes for months or years on end. One of the positives about TRAP is that the NELC is involved at each step. Once a particular zone is selected to undergo this process, letter carriers should expect to be informed in advance as to when the live week, discussed below, for their inspection will take place, along with hearing jointly developed stand-up talks from USPS and NELC representatives. Before and during the live week, letter carriers will participate in joint consultations with a REIT. The consultations give every letter carrier an opportunity to provide valuable input the REIT will consider when evaluating and adjusting routes. Live week data and the letter carrier's input are not only the things considered when evaluating and adjusting routes. Like joint processes of the past, historical data will be taken into account as well. DSR data from seven random weeks prior to the live week will go into the equation as well. After the live week takes place and all consultations are completed, the REIT will then jointly evaluate routes and adjust them if needed. Route evaluation and adjustments must be completed within 75 days of the live week, with day one being the day after the live week ends. I'm going to read that again because that is a huge question I see all the time. Route evaluation and adjustments must be completed within 75 days of the live week with day one being the day after the live week ends. TRAP also requires a joint route adjustment review process. Once a route adjustment is completed, a joint review is made by the district lead team, DLT, to determine if any further adjustments are needed. The DLT consists of one NELC representative and one USPS representative. The DLT review must be done within 90 days of implementation of the initial adjustment. Office time evaluation. As with all route adjustment processes, the REIT must select the lesser of two options to establish a route's office time. The TRAP office time options are, one, the regular carrier's average office time from the data analysis period, or two, the estimated standard for the route utilizing the average case volume for the data analysis period using the eight letters, eight flats per minute formula plus 70-piece pull-down per minute formula, plus fixed office time. Now remember that fixed office time, because I'm going to talk to you about that in just a second. 
Your office time data will come from the WorkHour Workload Report. REIT teams will analyze all data for anomalies and consider the letter carrier's input in order to select a representative office time. In most cases, 1838Cs will not be conducted. No more counting mail or having a manager stand behind you watching you case your route as it relates to route inspections. If letter carriers handle spurs in the office, they should give a spurs piece count to management daily. Management can give the letter carrier office credit for spurs. Spurs are considered a flat. If the regular carry was not on the route during all or a portion of the data analysis period, the REIT may exclude that portion of the data or use data from a mutually agreed upon replacement carrier. Management is required to post the work hour work workload report daily for your review. Say that again. Management is required to post the work hour workload report daily for your review. If that's not happening, we need to grieve that. Letter carriers can review these reports to ensure volumes, office time, and auxiliary assistance are properly recorded. Management can correct any issues found by letter carriers. Now, when we talk about fixed office time, 33 minutes and 43 minutes, here's something that is coming down the pike for us. JB gets a phone call the other day from someone that was sitting in on a teleconference. And in that teleconference, somebody from management told all the managers on this teleconference that the M41 handbook had been amended and there was no longer a fixed office time. That's what this manager told the other managers and supervisors on this teleconference. And I'll have JB clarify that, but he called me and told me this, that a manager told the other managers and supervisors that the M41 handbook had been amended and that there was no longer a 33-minute or 43-minute fixed office time. When I tell you that management will lie, that, that's an example. What would be the reasoning to tell people that? What would be management's reasoning for tell other managers, supervisors, hey, there's no longer 33-minute or 43-minute fixed office time? What's the purpose of that, if not to attempt to hurt my people in the office? Maybe it goes along with this one-hour office time when the carriers are saying, well, I'll get 43 minutes of fixed office time. I will say, no, the M41 handbook has been amended. You no longer have a fixed office time. Could it be that? Possibly. Listen to me, everybody. We have and always will have a 33-minute and 43-minute fixed office time there's a 33 minute fixed office time without a break and there's a 43 minute fixed office time with a break do not believe anything management tells you in contrast to that okay if they say that the district managers come down or the pumas come down or the postmaster general has come down it doesn't matter it does not matter we have a 33 minute fixed office time without a break and 43 minutes of fixed office time with a break. That has not changed and will not change. These memos talk about the fixed office time. So when that individual told those, care, those managers and supervisors that, she intentionally lied to them for some reason I don't know, other than they just love to lie. So be careful with that if you hear that. If, you, if managers come around saying that, they're lying to you. 
Do not believe that. Do not. I'm telling you. And if you want to mess with them, have them send you the amended copy of the M41. Say, Dad, Gummit, I didn't know that. Are you serious? Yeah, no more fixed office time. Golly. Well, do you mind if I see the amended copy of the M41 then where it says that? Well, I'll get that for you. Well, let's go get it. Come on. Because I need to tell my carriers that there's no more fixed office time. So let's go get that amended copy so we can see it. There is no such thing. Okay. <laughs> All right. Street time evaluation. Digital street review. DSR. Seven-week analysis. Seven weeks are randomly drawn prior to the inspection, excluding June, July, August, and December, and have been selected by the national parties. The street time data from these seven weeks comes from DSR. REITs will analyze the data from the seven random weeks for anomalies. For example, if your route shows one hour of street time on a particular day for whatever reason, it should be simple for that day to be thrown out and not considered by the REIT. It is also possible for the team to correct anomalies like this using DSR. REITs will also analyze the DSR historical data to determine whether time automatically deducted from a route was proper. If the team determines it was not, the time will be added back to the route. And that's another thing when you're looking at these work hour workload reports. That's the importance of them putting those up there. There are a lot of anomalies on work hour workload reports. You'll have some days where you'll have 10 minutes of office time. You'll have an hour and 45 minutes of street time. Those are anomalies, okay, if you've not had any auxiliary assistance in the office or on the street. So when you're looking at your work hour workload report and it shows that you came in and you had 15 minutes of office time, you need to talk to management about that and have them correct that, okay, because that's obviously not, not right. Uh, so make sure that we're looking at those work hour workload reports and finding those anomalies ourselves and having management correct those, okay? If management refuses to, just talk to your shop steward about it, all right? And they'll address it. Live week. As with the seven-week analysis, your scanner will collect all data during the live week. This means that in most cases, there will not be a manager sitting in the back of your vehicle with a 30-year-old handheld computer stealing time from you all day. Exceptions would be situations where DSR data is not available. For instance, DSR does not work in high-rise buildings or underground. In these limited circumstances, a traditional $39.99 would have to be done. The live week will fall sometime after the seven-week analysis period and will be selected by the DLT. The live week will be known in advance. The carrier's PS form $39.99 will be created during the live week. PS Form 3999 is used to record all street data on the day of inspection. The purpose of a PS Form 3999 is to assign a time value for each sector segment on a route which is used to move territory during the adjustment process. You will have consultations with your REIT during this week, most likely over Zoom. You will be able to see the picture of your route created by DSR on a computer screen. Local management has no right to be present during your consultation. The day or days you have your consultation will be about your 39.99 days. It is possible to have as many as three 39.99 days and therefore three consultations. As with all route adjustment processes, the REIT will select 
the most representative day as your official $39.99 if multiple $39.99s are collected during the week. You're entitled upon request to a copy of your consultation form, the unedited DSR summary page, the edited DSR summary page, and the PS Form 3999 DSR. If you have additional comments after reviewing the forms, you should put them in writing so the REIT can consider them. It is important to always have your scanner on you, except for your lunch break, to cut down on the number of flagged events that will show up in DSR. For example, let's say you leave your scanner in your vehicle while delivering a parking loop that takes you 15 minutes. These 15 minutes will show up in DSR as a stationary event and will be flagged. The REIT will ask you about the 15-minute flagged event during your consultation. If you tell the REIT you were walking a parking loop and forgot your scanner, that should be the end of the story and the team should be sure to include that time on your route. But what if you have 25 flagged events and don't remember what you were doing for each one? What if the REIT makes a mistake and doesn't ask you about these 15 minutes of what appears to be a stationary time? The point here is the fewer flagged events, the better. The fewer flagged events mean fewer opportunities for management to try to steal time from your route. And that's perfect. Because what I've always said about management, maybe from the first episode, they want to steal from you. It's who they are. It's in their blood. It's their DNA. They want to steal. Right? They, they never want to do the right thing. So that's a good thing that they put in there. The fewer flagged events mean fewer opportunities for management to try to steal time from your route. Having your scanner on you at all times will help our REIT member fight for every minute your route deserves. And that's what it's all about. We're fighting for every single minute. Follow your edit book line of travel to limit the number of flagged events. Take your 30-minute lunch and your other street breaks. Two 10-minute street breaks or one 10-minute street break if you take your other 10-minute break in the office. Your longest stationary event will be designated by DSR as your lunch break and will be automatically deducted from your route each day. Take heat breaks as needed. Make sure to explain in consultation. That's what I was talking about earlier. Take heat breaks as necessary. In conclusion, the best ways to protect your route is to have your scanner with you for every delivery throughout the day and to participate in your consultations. During consultations, it is extremely important that you understand which street functions will be deducted and which street functions will count towards your route so you can explain any flagged or disallowed time accordingly. I hope this has been helpful and thank you for reading. Great stuff right there from my friend who sent that to me. I'm not going to say who it was, but that's great stuff right there as far as the T-Rap. Okay, it's on us. It's on us. We can't get away from it, so we're going to... We're going to do the best we can, okay? But that's that's really good stuff right there to help us out. But any team member you talk to, they're going to tell you the most important thing is having your scanner on at you at all times. Always have that scanner on you, okay? And the care consultations. Plead for every minute. <laughs> that's just what we're going to do. We're going to plead for every minute, okay? I had Jeremy put this B team decision on the from aidarbitration.com it's the knock and drop parcels because we had that uh, that individual that that messaged me last week and so it'll help you uh, I don't know I don't think it was up there before but it's one that JB did and uh, we won that 
and it'll tell you it has the issue on there. Like I said, you can't use this because it's not in your installation, but you can get on there, you can look at the issue, and you can look at the remedy, okay? Also the contractual language. And it said the issue, did management violate Article 19 of the National Agreement via Section 631 of the M41 Handbook when they instructed the grievant not to wait for a customer's response when delivering parcels? If so, was the appropriate remedy? And that's going to be your issue. It's already there for you. You don't have to ask anybody what would be my issue for knock and drop right there. And then it's got a 15, 17, 19 where they unreasonably denied the steward's request to investigate. In the decision, the dispute resolution team has resolved this grievance. The DRT determines management is instructed to cease and desist violation of the M41 handbook. Management will allow carriers to wait a reasonable amount of time for a response from the customer in accordance with sections 322 and 631 of the M41 handbook when delivering parcels which require customer action. And that's why I was so uptight last week when that gentleman said that uh, the branch president, Formal A, said this is a disciplinary issue. It's not. It is not. We've got to fight everything like this that management's doing right now. We've got to. Uh, management is going to try to steal time from us, like that memo my friend wrote. They're looking everywhere they can to steal from us right now. And that's what this is. This is theft of time is basically what that is. So when that branch president said that, Man, you killed your carriers right there, baby. You, you handcuffed them right there. Management has just stolen time from your letter carriers, and you allowed it to happen. Management has put in place a policy, basically, that allowed them to steal from your carriers, and you let them do it. That, that's why I was so upset about that. It's because you've got to understand right now, everything management's doing right now, is an attempt to steal from us because of these memos. We've got to fight every single thing that they do. That's what I'm saying. We'll sit in there eight hours meeting on grievances if that's what you want to. But everything you do right now, I'm going to grieve it. Everything. This is not a disciplinary issue, my man. This is a contractual violation which is directly hampering, hindering our carriers on the street. There is no other way to explain it. So it's going to be on there. Uh, look at it. It's got the uh, it's got the union's position. Plagiarize it, okay? Uh, it's got a statement from the young lady where they did it. Give you something to look at. It's got the contractual language, and uh, it's got on page nineteen two of the JCAM reads in relevant part as follows. Local policies and this uh, a lot of things being put up right now. Management handing out. Forms for carriers to fill out. I wouldn't fill out anything, and I won't sign anything either. But it talks about local policies. Locally developed policies may not vary from nationally established handbook and manual provisions. That's in there. Section 322.3 of the M41 handbook reads in relevant part as follows, and it's highlighted. For any parcel that does not fit into the customer's mailbox or parcel locker when available, an attempt to deliver must be made at the customer's door. If no one is able to receive the parcel, follow the procedures in 322.311 and 322.312. How is that a disciplinary issue to that individual that dropped the ball on that? How is this a disciplinary issue 
For any parcel that does not fit into the customer's mailbox or parcel locker when available, an attempt to deliver must, M-U-S-T, must be made at the customer's door. If no one is available to receive the parcel, why am I going to know that if I don't knock on the damn door? Huh? It goes on. The DRT directs the parties to section 631 of the M41 handbook, which reads in relevant part as follows. 631.2. While waiting for customer to respond, scan the parcel to, ver- to verify weather. And then it gives the things. While waiting for customer to respond. That's in direct violation when you say knock and drop of this right here, 631.2. While waiting for customer to respond. It's got the Article 19 language in there for you. You can copy and paste that. It's got the language that I just read from in there, uh, on there. So you can copy and paste that, okay? It's, it's already made for you. All you need is the 8190. Get that uh, contractual language. Make those contentions. If they hand out a policy, uh, put that in there. If they state a policy, get carriers to support your uh, contention that management came out and gave a stand-up saying that there was a new knock-and-drop policy or whatever. Ask for a copy of it, where it came from, and you'll beat it. It's a contractual issue. Nothing to do with discipline. Do not hurt your carriers by not filing a grievance because that's what you're doing. You're hurting your carriers if you don't file agreements on that, period. All right? All right, got this other thing here. And this is, uh, I'm having, I think I sent this to Jeremy to put up. But this is something from Postal Headquarters that we're not supposed to have. And I got it because I get things. And I'm going to read it to you. This is concerning the red line policy. And why this is funny is uh, JB called me the other day and he said that the postmaster had called him and said, hey, have y'all not grieved this red line policy before? He says, yeah, twice already. I want it. She's like, can you send me that, please? Because the district manager is coming out with a new district-wide red line policy. And he said, yeah, I'll send it to you. She's like, yeah, I told him that we had already grieved it. And he said he didn't care. So the district manager has come down with this red line policy. I told y'all that they're doing everything that they can right now to, to steal from us and to cheat us as far as these memos. Okay? This red line policy is another example of that. They've already attempted this years ago, and we beat them off of us. But now here comes September 1. Here comes these memos into effect, this T-Rap, and here they come with it again. Well, it's national. So you're going to be hearing about it. I'm going to show you how to beat it right here. From coast to coast. This is from headquarters now. I'm going to read you some things that nobody else is going to be reading to you. Because we got this on the down low. In this uh, PowerPoint, I'm going to read the entire PowerPoint. And I'm going to tell Jeremy to put it up. (laughs) So you'll have it. And so if they ask where you got it, tell them you got it from me. Tell them to come talk to me. Then we've got the standard operating procedure from headquarters. It's in there, okay? And I'm going to tell you how we're going to beat it, the red line policy, all right? So here's the uh, PowerPoint. Red line initiative peak 2022, 
Okay, remember that, 2022, all right, because we're going to show you something funny here in a minute. Red Line Initiative, peak 2022, and this was 8-12-2022, and it's got a happy letter carrier. He's got a bag full of mail before the red line, and after the red line, he has no mail. Red line, an overview is what it states. It gives a link to training recording link. Red line process training. Delivery support specialist, young lady there, SME, acting, I'm going to say. Red line process training. Red line process, and it's got some pictures there on it. Before carriers cross the red line, place the mail collected in designated separations. And it's got those separations there right as you come in the back door. Return accountable items to the accountable clerk for clearance. Report any new buildings, hazards, or special instructions to your supervisor or manager. Deposit DPS errors in the 3M case in the designated slots. Any mail that is returned from the street must be identified, dog, block box, closed, etc., with a completed sign 1571 and placed in appropriate container. PM audits. Backdoor reviews. <laughs> Review carriers at random. Validate the reason mail was returned. Check all notice left packages for proper scanning. Document findings on a backdoor management log. <laughs> Provide training if required and document on PS Form 2548. Then it's got a little time for questions here. Then it's got a little chart, uh, RACI, Roles and Responsibilities. That's Responsible, Consulted, Accountable, Informed. And then it's got the standard operating procedure, and I'm going to read that to you in just a second, but it's got the red line standard operating procedure on there. What is a red line? A physical red line, typically tape, that encompasses the area determined to be the most traveled by carriers from their vehicle to their case on their turn from their routes. Read that again. A physical red line, typically tape, that encompasses the area determined to be the most traveled by carriers from their vehicle to their case on the return from their routes. This area includes the following pieces of equipment. A tray for CFS mail, placarded, and ready for dispatch. Tray for PARs, mail marked, and ready for dispatch. Tray for mail not delivered with 1571 attached. Examples would be mail not delivered due to dog, business closed, box blocked, unsafe area, and hold mail from DPS. Supervisor manager would be responsible for reviewing daily. This mail will not include 3M errors and should be minimal. Hamper, U-Cart, HOD for UBBM. So they don't want you to take that back to your case. Hamper, U-Cart for attempted mail pieces, priority, packages, spurs, and so forth. Accountable items will still need to be processed per local SOP. Wire, hamper, HOD for collection letter mail. Area for trade meter mail. HODs for uncanceled, cancel flats. Area for packages for dispatch personal to make proper separations. Pallets for properly staging MTE. To create a standardized framework encompassing carry duties returning to the delivery unit upon completion of delivery assignments. The procedures intended to clearly and concisely define the clearance process 
with an emphasis on the proper disposition of mail types by all returning carriers. Includes logs and forms for documentation and ideally a supervisor desk nearby. Timeline. Due 9-23-2022. Y'all be ready. It's giving you a timeline here. Due 9-23-2022. Six weeks to complete three sites per district. Two weeks per site. Shouldn't take the whole two weeks to do each site. Allows for flexibility with other projects. So it's due 9-23-2022. So y'all be ready. Okay. Six weeks to complete three sites per district. Two weeks per site. Supply ordering information. Site is responsible for ordering tape. Work with site to confirm order status or assist in ordering if necessary. Tape can be found on eBuy. So there you have it. They're going to tell you how to buy the red tape. <laughs> Deliverables. OSLs with clearly marked red lines, if time allows. Provide site with backdoor management logs. Before and after picture of completed red line area. And y'all be able to see that if you get on from adarbitration.com. <laughs> We're just going to put management shit on there, okay? Deliverables. Fill out red line tracking workbook when complete. Red line tracking. I'd ask for that. I'd ask for that on an information request. When they come in there and they put this red tape down. I'm going to show you what to do. Have got an arbitration site. We've already beat this. And so uh, we'll have the contractual language. We'll have this arbitration site. We can copy and paste get the issue off of there and the remedy and the contractual language. But I'd ask for that uh, red line tracking workbook. And if they say they don't know what it is, get on from aid arbitration, print out this thing right there and say it's right there on y'all's own PowerPoint. Fill out a template with before and after photos and save it to your area folder as district name red line submission. So I'm going to ask for that too. <laughs> I'm going to ask for that too. It says, fill out a template with before and after photos and save it to your area folder as district name, Redline Submission. So when I put in information request, I'm going to say, hey, I need the folder district name, Redline Submission. And I'm like, how in the hell did you know about that? This is all going to be on from adarbitration.com. Look, I hate management with a passion. Okay. So anything that I can do to fuck them over, I'm going to do it, right? If they're not going by the contract, if they're doing things like this to steal from us, you better believe that I'm going to do everything I can to educate y'all and, and get us ready. Everything that I can, I'm going to educate us and get us ready. I'm telling you that this is a national policy coming down. September 23rd, it's got to be implemented. I'm telling you that. Okay, this is going to get you ready to defeat it. Everything that they do, I want us to be a thorn in their side. And I want us to grieve them into submission. Just do the memos like they're, they're written, 82, 83, and 84. Just do the memos, man. You know, you don't have to attempt to screw us all the time, which is what this is, the hour office time. All those things that they're doing, they're trying to screw us. Don't, don't do us like that. Just be honest with us. Okay, they can't do it, though. So we'll grieve them into, into submission. Present, out, and reflection. A telecon in September. One to three presenters per area. Give OIEs a chance to showcase their project. Reflect on what went well. 
What could have gone better? Lessons learned. I'm going to tell you what could have went well. Nothing. Because we're going to grieve the shit out of it and we're going to win. Okay. So when that one, they get this telecom, I want everybody on there to say, well, how, how'd it go? Did it, you know, did it go well? No, it didn't. We got it grieved and we lost. Okay. That's what needs to happen. So there's the slideshow. Let me read you all the standard operating procedure. And I'm going to read you this arbitration site. Listen to this now. <laughs> I want you to listen to this. Headquarters delivery strategies and planning. Standard operating procedure. Now, this was the standard operating procedure that I said was in that PowerPoint. Here it is. Standard operating procedure. Red line policy. Objective. To create a standardized framework encompassing carrier duties returning to the delivery unit upon completion of delivery assignments. The procedure is intended to clearly and concisely define the clearance process with an emphasis on the proper disposition of mail types by all returning carriers. Responsibility. Districts are responsible for ensuring unit compliance with the SOP. New shop stewards, SOP, standard operating procedure, okay? SOP, whenever you see SOP, just know that that's standard operating procedure, all right? It's my new shop steward, especially CCA shop stewards, because you probably, I don't know if you've ever worked anywhere where you've heard SOP, okay? So that's standard operating procedure. Units are responsible for setup and implementation of all practices outlined in the SOP. Scope. The procedures contained in this SOP are mandatory for all districts within the United States Postal Service. There you go. There you go. Scope. The procedures contained in this SOP are mandatory for all districts within the United States Postal Service. Responsibilities. Management's responsibilities. Managers should set up a designated area that has been determined to be in the most common line for, of travel for carriers returning to their respective cases. The aforementioned area must allow for inclusion of 3M case, setup or stage area for PAR, CFS, and UBBM along with all undelivered mail types. Setups should include tray for CFS mail, placarded and ready for dispatch. Tray for PARs, mail marked and ready for dispatch. Tray for mail not delivered with 1571 attached. Examples would be mail not delivered due to dog, business closed, box blocked, unsafe area, and hold mail for DPS. All those things were supposed to be done at the case. So they're trying to take all of that work from us when they do that. Supervisor, manager would be responsible for reviewing daily. This mail will not include 3M errors and should be minimal. So I'm going to read that again. Examples would be mail not delivered to the dog. That should be taken to our case. Businesses closed should be taken to our case. Box blocked should be taken to our case. Unsafe area should be taken to our case. Hold mail from DPS should be taken to our case. So they're trying to take all of that work from us, okay? Hamper, U-cart, HOD for UBBM. Hamper, U-cart for attempted mail pieces, i.e. priority, packages, spurs, and so forth. Accountable items will still need to be processed per local SOP. Wire hamper, HOD for collection letter mail. Area for trade meter mail. HODs for uncanceled, canceled flats. Area for packages for dispatch personnel to make proper separations. Pallets for properly staging MTE. 
Use shelved APCs for red line separations or equipment that is mobile and to keep items off of the floor for safety reasons. Keep in mind that this does not have to all be in one particular spot, but rather an area that is within the carrier's line of travel back to their cases or time clock for in-tour functions. Carrier Responsibilities Unload and return vehicle to designated parking area. Scan the return to office MSP barcode and input ending mileage. Move to office and empty collected mail. If you have carried any routes other than your own, enter the route number and time spent on the route in EBR. The following procedures will take place within the red line area and prior to carry returning to their cases. Place the mail collected in designated separations. Deposit UBBM mail in the correct container. That should be done in our case. Any UAA mail with endorsements must be placed in the proper trays according to information on the PARS labels. Deposit collected outgoing mail in proper separations. Return accountable items to the accountable clerk for clearance. Return all equipment to its designated location. Ensure automation labels are removed from any disposed from DPS trays. Ensure that all equipment is empty and turned upside down. Report any new buildings, hazards, or special instructions to your supervisor or manager. Deposit DPS errors in the 3M case in the designated slots provided. Missent, missequence, missorted. And record the numbers on the appropriate tracking sheet. Place undeliverable mail after properly endorsing in the RTS cage. Any mail that is returned from the street must be identified. Dog, blocked, closed, etc., with a completed signed 1571 and placed in an appropriate container. The 1571 must be signed by the carrier and a supervisor. Do not take any mail back to your case in the PM. Right there. Do not take any mail back to your case in the PM. That's where they're trying to steal from you. Right there. So get this standard operating procedure, put it in with your contentions, and highlight that thing. Do not take any mail back to your case in the PM into or and leave premises and then it's got a, a a picture carriers do not cross the red line with any mail in their possession and it has a little red got a picture there for you carriers do not cross the red line with any mail in their possession and then it's got another one uh, with the containers that they put it in so there's the standard operating procedure okay on the red line now i've got an arbitration site and this is going to be critical it's C32369. C32369. It's from Sherry Rose Talmadge. Sherry Rose Talmadge. Arbitrator, okay? This is from 2016. Now, that's critical, okay? This is 2016 that I'm fixing to read from. This SOP that I just read, 2022, the PowerPoint, I told you to remember that, 2022. Here's the standard operating procedure from headquarters, 2022. Here's an arbitration site from 2016 that we took to hearing as a red line policy. Listen to this now. Award summary, management violated Articles 3, 5, 15, and 19 of the National Agreement when it implemented the Eastern Area Operation Standard Operating Procedure Red Line Policy. Okay, at the Bowling Green Postal Facility. So this is an Eastern Area SOP. This one here I read to you, Headquarters Level SOP. 
Here's an Eastern Area SOP. Management is to cease and desist the application of the Eastern Area SOP 714 and to comply with the M41, allowing letter carriers to return to the handling of PM undeliverable mail in accordance with the M41, Section 24. Accordingly, the grievance is sustained. So we won this in arbitration at Bowling Green. Now, uh, I'm going to read all of it to you. Okay, we're just going to take the time and read it because you just heard that this SOP is mandatory nationwide. I gave you a date that it's supposed to be implemented. They're fixing to, they're fixing to come at us with it. We need to be ready to grieve it. Okay, and here's your issue. Did management violate Articles 3, 5, 15, and 19 of the National Agreement when it implemented the Eastern Area Operations Standard Operating Procedure? That's not going to be your issue. You're going to, yours is going to be the whatever they say it is. They may not say it's the national SOP. They may say it's district, eastern, whatever. Just find out what that is, and that'll be your issue, okay? Did management violate Articles 3, 5, 15, and 19 of the National Agreement when it implemented the Eastern Area Operation Standard Operating Procedure Red Line Policy? And here's the one that I just read to you. Standard Operating Procedure Red Line Policy. Identical. This was the Eastern Area Red Line Policy. Okay, so we're dealing with the exact same thing. Contract provisions, manuals, and handbooks. M41, handbook, carriers' duties and responsibilities. 44, undelivered mail. 441, processing undelivered mail. Follow procedures listed in Part 24 to process voidable and undeliverable mail. One, that you didn't process before leaving the office and or two, that you picked up on the route. After processing, place this mail in the throwback case, as explained in Part 24. Uh, 24, undeliverable or as addressed UAA mail. Procedures by category. 242.11, casing. 242.11, case removals to appropriate separation by size and type. Separations are COAs, entry mail, machinable and non-machinable. 242.112, case removals to proper separation from mail pieces, which are undeliverable is addressed, forwarding order expired, attempted not known, no such number, no such street, other carry endorsed. And those are the things at your case, in case you're wondering what those are. At your case, when you see Mars are down at the bottom right, where you have the sections, undeliverable is addressed, FOE, all those things, and you put that mail in there, that's what that's talking about right there, okay? Case removals. 242.12, bundling CPS mail, withdrawal mail in the separations, deposit and designated location by exit for transport to CFS, M39 handbook, utilizing work area and equipment, uh, workroom floor layout, K, hold mail, instruct the carrier to place hold mail in a central location only when space is not available at the carrier's case. Y'all hear that? That SOP I just read from you said what? Hold mail? Hold mail. Instruct the carrier to place hold mail in a central location only when space is not available at the carrier's case. How's that not going to be available at my case? I've got the hold order tubs right there. Right? So that's an argument. 127. Office work when carriers return from the route. The care unit manager must observe and direct care activity when carriers return from the route. Observe such thing as D. When carriers have ended their tour of duty, review the carrier work areas for curtailed mail not reported on Form 1571. 
She says, findings of facts. This case concerned management's implementation of an SOP, Redline Policy, in December of 2013 in Eastern Area Operations, specifically in Bowling Green, Ohio. Bowling Green is a college town in which carriers must deal with a large number of holds, forwards, and move left no address issues. Carriers often encounter names of customers throughout the route that no longer live at a particular address. Pursuant to M41 Handbook, carriers are instructed to use PS Form 3982s as a reference point when unfamiliar with customer removals, and Handbook M39 states that management must instruct carriers to place all hold mail at the carrier's case. Letter carriers there testified that prior to the issuance of the SOP, the long-standing past practice at the Bowling Green facility for carriers returning from the street and completing all deliveries to return to their cases to properly sort undelivered mail in accordance with existing policies prior to placing it in the throwback case. This enabled carriers to verify any necessary undelivered mail upon return. The carrier cases are equipped with slots labeled for proper separation of undelivered mail, which are to be used for both the morning and afternoon office duties. Get this decision, y'all, and read the hell out of it, okay? Carrier cases are also equipped with separations, which are specifically for customer-requested hold mail and temporary holds for customers who have moved and left no address. The carriers are responsible for handling all customer hold mail and ensuring its proper placement at their case. The implementation of the SOP no longer allowed carriers upon returning to the office after completing their routes to take undelivered mail to their cases for handing, handling and sorting. Now listen to this now. She's going to type on here the SOP. Now this is back in 2013, right? This one is 2022. She's going to type it here. I'm going to, and listen to this. She says Eastern Area SOP Redline Policy states in part objective to create a standardized framework encompassing carrier duties returning to the delivery unit upon completion of delivery assignments. The procedure is intended to clearly and concisely define the clearance process with an emphasis on the proper disposition of mail types by all returning carriers. Did y'all hear that? That's objective now. Now listen to the objective on the one from 2022. Objective, to create a standardized framework encompassing carried duties returning to the delivery unit upon the completion of delivery assignments. The procedure is intended to clearly and concisely define the clearance process with an emphasis on the proper disposition of mail types by all returning carriers. They're identical. The objective is identical from the one from 2013 to the one from 2022. It's the exact same language. When you get this SOP off of formatearbitration.com, get this site, and you're going to make that contention. Management is attempting to implement the very thing that arbitrator Talmadge has already defeated in Bowling Green. It's the same objective. Here's another thing she wrote, scope. Scope. The procedures contained in the SOP are mandatory for all districts, within the eastern area. Now here's the scope on the one I just read to you. The procedures contained in this SOP are mandatory for all districts within the United States Postal Service. Identical, except this one says eastern area. So the scope is the same. One from 2013 and then one from 
2022. And it says responsible organizations. This goes back to her decision. Responsible organizations. Districts are responsible for ensuring unit compliance with the SOP. Units are responsible for setup and implementation of all practices outlined in the SOP. Go back to the one I just read to you, the, the headquarters level. Responsibility. Districts are responsible for ensuring unit compliance with the SOP. Units are responsible for setup and implementation of all practices outlined in the SOP. Identical to the one that she ruled on in 2013. Identical. Go back to her decision. Carry responsibilities. Carry responsibilities. Unload and return vehicle to designated parking area. Scan the return to office MSP barcode and input ending mileage. Move to office and empty collected mail. If you have carried any routes other than your own, enter the route number and time spent on the route in EBR. That's carry responsibilities under hers. Here's carry responsibilities on the new one, the 2022 one. Unload and return vehicle to designated parking area. Scan the return to office MSP barcode and input ending mileage. Move to office and empty collected mail. If you have carried any routes other than your own, enter the route number and time spent on the route and EBR. They're identical. Y'all see what I'm saying? She's ruled on this back in 2013. The decision came out in 2014. Management implemented this exact same red line policy from back in 2014. They're trying to do it again. Only this one's national level. Arbitrator Talmadge writes down the exact same language that you're going to have on this new SOP. It's verbatim. That will look terrible in arbitration for management. Make sure you're getting this decision from, from Talmadge. Copy it. Put it in your case file. Get this SOP off of from8arbitration.com. If they're saying it's Eastern or District, or whatever, ask for a copy of the SOP, the red line policy, and put it in there. They're going to be identical, I'm telling you. She goes on, the following procedures will take place within the red line area and prior to carry returning to their cases. All right, now she's got that in all caps. She's got this in all caps. The following procedures will take place within the red line area and prior to carry returning to their cases. One, place the mail collected in designated separations. Deposit UBBM mail in the correct container. Any unaddressed mail that, uh, with endorsements must be placed in the proper trays according to information on the PARS labels. Deposit collected outgoing mail in proper separations. Return accountable items to the accountable clerk for clearance. Return all equipment to its designated location. Ensure automation labels are removed from and disposed from DPS trays. Ensure that all equipment is empty and turned upside down. Report any new buildings, hazards, or special instructions to your supervisor manager. Deposit DPS errors in the 3M case and the designated slots provided, missent, missequence, missorted, and record the numbers on the tracking sheet. Place undeliverable mail after properly endorsing in the RTS cage. Any mail that is returned from the street must be identified, dog, block, closed, etc., with a completed signed 1571 and placed in an appropriate container. The 1571 must be signed by the carrier and a supervisor. Do not take any mail back to your case in the PM. Enter and leave premises. Does that sound familiar? 
I'm going to read again to you the new one, the 2022 one. In all caps, it states, the following procedures will take place within the red line area and prior to Carrie returning to their cases. That's the exact same language she wrote in hers, all caps. Here's what it says. Place the mail collected in designated separations. Deposit UBBM mail in correct container. Any unaddressed mail with endorsements must be placed in the proper trays according to information on the PARS label. Deposit collected outgoing mail in proper separations. Return accountable items to the accountable clerk for clearance. Return all equipment to its designated location. Ensure automation labels are removed from, in, from and disposed from DPS trays. Ensure that all equipment is empty and turned upside down. Report any new buildings, hazards, or special instructions to your supervisor or manager. Deposit DPS errors in the 3M case in the designated slots provided, missent, missequenced, misordered, and record the numbers on the appropriate tracking sheet. Place undeliverable mail after properly endorsing in the RTS cage. Any mail that is returned from the street must be identified, dog, block, closed, etc., with a completed signed 1571 and placed in an appropriate container. The 1571 must be signed by the carrier and a supervisor. Do not take any mail back to your case in the PM, into or and leave premises. That's the exact same language verbatim that they used back on us in 2014. It's the exact same language. They're the exact same SOPs. And here they come again with the same red line policy. By coincidence, right here in September, has to be implemented by the 23rd. You think that's coincidence or do you think that they're trying to steal from us again because of these memos? I say it's directly related to these memos. I just do. But here they are again. We're going to be ready for them. Okay? Let's get back to her decision, and then I'll be finished with that in just a second. She goes on about the, um, the testimony from the carriers there, and then she's got management's uh, testimony. It says the acting supervisor testified that the implementation of the Eastern A SOP did not affect the carrier's wages or work hours. Schreiner also testified that prior to the implementation of the Eastern Area SOP, the end of the day routine was different for each carrier. Positions of the parties. The union's position. The union contended that it has met its burden of proof in this case. The employer argued that they have the right to manage the service, such as implementing the SOP, in an effort to streamline the process of undelivered mail. However, Article 3 is not absolute and limits the rights of management which are subject to the provisions of the National Agreement. The M41 is incorporated in the National Agreement through Article 19. SOP is in conflict with the National Agreement, specifically the M41, carries duties and responsibilities, and therefore it is improper and should be rescinded. Moreover, the undisputed past practice of the carriers returning to their case to perform the undeliverable mail Processing also serves to clarify the M41 contractual language. The M41, Section 4, Office Time Return, 441 Processing Undeliverable Mail, provide following procedures listed in Part 24 to process forwardable and undeliverable mail that you didn't process before leaving the office and or that you picked up on the route. After processing, place this mail in throwback case as explained in Part 24. The language of Section 441 instructs the carrier to process forwardable and undeliverable mail that is brought back from the street upon the carrier's return to the office. Section 24, a subsection of Section 2 of the M41 titled 
office time preparation pertains to morning casing processing procedures as well as the afternoon processing procedures per section 441. Section 24 cannot be interpreted as processing the mail at the carrier's case in the morning and have a different interpretation upon returning from the street. Beautiful. Section 441 states, after processing, place this mail in throwback case as explained in part 24. This indicates a two-step process. First, you process the undeliverable mail per section 24, just as the carrier did in the morning. Then the carrier is to place this mail in the throwback case. These N41 instructions cannot be followed by carriers under SOP as it is necessary for them to return to their cases to properly process undeliverable mail. Under the SOP, carriers are not able to return to their case to properly reference PS Form 3982s and secure customer hold mail. Postal policy pursuant to M41 was established, which directs carriers to return to their case, process undeliverable mail, and then take the mail to the proper location, i.e. throwback case. Section 441 states, office time return. Discussing office time duties once a carrier returns. It states that carriers are to process undelivered mail at their cases during office time return, not on the street, and placed in the throwback case as soon as they walk in the office, as management argued. All this is beautiful. I know you hate, I hate reading to you, but all of this is beautiful. When you get this arbitration site off of formatearbitration.com, read the hell out of it and get yourself acquainted with these provisions and these arguments. I would plagiarize these, these arguments. They're beautiful. The, the advocate here was Daniel Estep. Fantastic job right here, breaking this down for the arbitrator, educating the arbitrator on our duties. He did a fantastic job. This is beautiful work. Uh, it just breaking each step down to the arbitrator, why we're allowed to go back to the case, where that's supported in the contract. Uh, a beautiful job right here. The union has proven there is clear and unambiguous language that the employer must adhere to the language in handbook M41 that directs the employer to allow carriers to sort undeliverable mail upon completion of their street duties. The SOP directly affected the carrier's terms and conditions of employment. The carriers took the hold mail back to the case prior to the SOP, and after the change in policy, the clerk craft returns to hold mail to the case. Now, in this case, we're going to put in here the new memos, and we're going to say that this is directly affecting our route times, okay, because we're supposed to be given credit for all this time. Management is attempting to steal from us during this policy. That's all this is, is attempting to steal from us our afternoon office time. That's all this is. So it is directly affecting our route times. And we'll make that argument. Put in there the 1982, 83, and 84, those memos. And we're saying that management's implementation of this red line policy is directly affecting our route times because we're supposed to be given credit to go back to our cases. They're trying to, in, in essence, just fast track us out the door when we get done in the, in the PM, okay? The union has proven that the employer has violated the national agreement. This is going back to the union's position. By unilaterally changing the established duties of letter carrier in the Bowling Green installation. The M39 and M41 incorporated the national agreement through Article 19, place specific instructions about how the afternoon office duties are to be performed by carriers. 
These handbooks must be followed, and management may not institute policies or directives which are in conflict. The union urged sustaining the grievance and requested a cease and desist order in the application of the SOP and to direct compliance with the M41 allowing carriers to return to the proper handling of PM undeliverable mail as they have in the past according to the M41 section 24 or otherwise make the carriers whole. Postal Service's Position The union did not provide a violation of Articles 3, 5, 15, or 19 of the National Agreement through documentary evidence or witness testimony. To prove a violation of Article 5, the union must establish a change of valid past practice affecting wages, hours, or working conditions. To establish a valid past practice, the union must prove that the practice includes clarity and consistency, longevity and repetition and acceptability. There was no clear explanation of an alleged past practice that existed for the carriers upon their return from the street prior to the implementation of the Eastern Area SOP. Acting Supervisor presented unrebutted testimony that the carriers had different routines at the end of the day without any consistency. The union did not bring any of the parties to the workroom floor to provide a clear picture of any equipment that they were describing to demonstrate what the carriers did prior to or after the implementation of the Eastern Area SOP. Now these would be good for y'all to look at to see what management may argue because most of the time their arguments are the same. The management witness both testified that the implementation did not affect wages or work hours, which was not refuted by the union. The union did not provide evidence on how working conditions were affected. The union did not prove the Eastern Area SOP directly affected wages, hours, or working conditions of the employees. And we'll easily beat that, y'all, by putting in those memos and saying that this is directly affecting our route times. Okay? You'll take that argument away from them by saying, look, you got these memos now. They just mysteriously or by happenstance put in these new policies this new sop right here as as these memos took effect it's very easy to see what's happening here the union argued that article 19 was violated in reference to m39 and m41 the union contended that the district policy requires the city carriers to perform certain tasks prior to the carrier returning to their cases specifically The policy states that carriers must move to office and empty collected mail, place mail in designated separations, return accountable items to the accountable clerk, complete a PS form 1571 for undelivered mail, and take no mail back to the case in the afternoon. The union provided no evidence to prove that the carriers have to return to their cases prior to performing the above task. A comparison of the M41 against the Eastern Area SOP reflects that the carrier's duties are the same. The difference is that the duties are performed in the morning instead of the evening. The M41 excerpts are merely guidelines of the very duties that the carriers are to perform when they return to the street, not where they are to be performed. Article 3 gives management the right to determine the methods, means, and personnel by which such operations are to be conducted. The union did not provide a violation of Article 19. The witness testimony provided arbitration was new evidence, new argument, and had not been provided throughout the steps of the grievance process and should not be considered. The union did not provide in, by preponderance of the evidence that there is a violation of the Nash Agreement due to the implementation of the Eastern Area SOP. Therefore, the service urged that the grievance be denied in its entirety. All right? So you got the union's position and management's position. And here's the arbitrator's position, which is the only one we care about. And this is our discussion. At issue is whether management violated Articles 3, 
5, 15, and 19 of the National Agreement when it implemented the Eastern Area Operations Standard Operating Procedure, Red Line Policy. The union met its burden of proving a violation of the National Agreement when management implemented the Eastern Area SOP, which is in conflict with the language of M41 and M39, and unilaterally changed an existing past practice. And that's beautiful. Now look, when we argue Article 5, past practice, get as many statements as you can from carriers saying that when they come in in the afternoon, they go back to their case and do all of this work and that they've been doing it for years and years and years, okay? My station is great. I've got carriers that have been working here 30, 40, 50 years. One started before I was born, so I always go to him first and say, hey, Mac, how long have you been bringing mail back to the case? Uh, For 50 years? Okay, that's a past practice. (laughs) But get as many statements as you can when we're talking about Article 5 past practice. The best way to win an Article 5 grievance is statements. Those are definitely statement-driven. So get as many statements as you can from carriers saying that when I come back in the afternoon from the street, I always go back to my case and make these separations there at the case. I always go back to the case, and that's where I put my mail in these slots. I always go back to the case and do whatever, put my hold orders back there. I've always done that. So if we're going to support our our past practice, Article 5 issue, we have to do that with statements, okay? And that way when they testify, they won't have this argument they did here that it was new evidence, new argument, okay? We got statements in the file to support this past practice grievance. Uh, we're going to win it with Article with um, Article 19, M41 and M39. The past practice part, she hung on to it here, okay, which is a great argument for us. All right, and that's what she said. And unilaterally changed an existing past practice. The service argued that in accordance with Article 3, Management's Rights Clause, it had the exclusive right to maintain the efficiency of the operations entrusted to it and to determine the methods, means, and personnel by which such operations are to be conducted. Pursuant to that authority, Management implemented the Eastern Area SOP in an effort to streamline the process of undelivered mail. That's going to be Management's arguments here today. Okay? That's going to be management's arguments here today with this new SOP. Verbatim. Just wait and see. Verbatim. That's what management is going to say. Okay? I'll read that again. The service argued that in accordance with Article 3, management's rights clause, it has the exclusive right to maintain the efficiency of the operations entrusted to it and to determine the methods, means, and personnel by which such operations are to be conducted. Pursuant to that authority, management implemented the Eastern Area SOP in an effort to streamline the process of undelivered mail. Copy that. Get ready for it because that's going to be their argument. However, Article 3, and here's where we always get management in Article 3. However, Article 3 is limited by the express provisions of the National Agreement. The M41 Handbook, Carriers, Duties, and Responsibilities, is incorporated into the National Agreement through via Article 19. The language of the M41 Section 4 Office Time Return provides 441 Processing Undelivered Mail. Follow procedures listed in Part 24 to process affordable and undeliverable mail that you didn't process before leaving the office and or that you picked up on the route 
after processing, place this mail in throwback case as explained in Part 24. Section 441 instructs carriers to process forwardable and undeliverable mail that is brought back from the street per Section 24. Section 24, a subsection of Section 2, Office Time Preparation, applies to the morning a.m. casing processing procedures and afternoon processing procedures. So she caught it. In the morning, carriers stand at their cases and case the non-deliverable mail into slots labeled undeliverable is addressed, attempted not known, such as such number, no such street, and CFS. After the carriers process the mail into the case separation, Section 242.121 states to withdraw mail in the separations, and Section 242.122 instructs the carriers to deposit in designated location by the exit for transport to CFS. That's your argument, okay? Copy and paste that. That's your argument, okay? And, and you can take a picture of the case where those separations are at the bottom right, like, you know, where you put those in when you're casing mail in the morning. Then when you get back, you have those undeliverable mail, all that stuff. Take a picture of that and put it in so the arbitrator can see that. Because a lot of times these arbitrations are held at district or an annex. There is no case availability. We can't take the arbitrator on the workroom floor. Okay, so they can see that for themselves. So take a picture of that little section. Put it in the case file. That way you can show an, an advocate can show the arbitrator either through them or through witness testimony, if I'm taking a witness to it, I'm going to say, hey, tell the arbitrator what we're looking at right here. Well, this is my case. Uh, these are the labels that we have on the case. And right here are the sections that we talk about where we put the mail in there. And, and that looks very good in arbitration. She goes on. Section 441, office time return, which discusses the carry duties upon returning to the office states that carriers are to process undeliverable mail at their case during office time return and then place this mail in the throwback case. The M41 handbook directs carriers upon returning to the office to return to their case, process undeliverable mail, and then take the mail to the throwback case. The union witnesses testify that it has been the long-standing past practice at this facility for carriers upon returning to the office to return their case to process undeliverable mail, and then to take the mail to the throwback case. That's great testimony. Under the SOP, the carriers are not able to return to their case to reference PS Form 3982s and to secure hold, customer hold mail. The SOP appears to conflict with the Section 441 because the carriers are not permitted to process the undeliverable mail at their cases, but rather must place the undeliverable mail in the throwback case as soon as they walk in the office. When management unilaterally implemented the SOP, the change in procedure upon returning to the office affected the terms and conditions of the letter carrier's employment when they were no longer permitted to take the hold mail back to their cases and instead the clerk craft was tasked with returning the hold mail to the carrier cases the next morning. I'm going to read that again. That's devastating. When management unilaterally implemented the SOP, the change in procedure upon returning to the office affected the terms and conditions of the letter carrier's employment when they were no longer permitted to take the hold mail back to their cases, and instead the clerk craft was tasked with returning the hold mail to the carrier cases the next morning. Beautiful. The M39 Management of Delivery Services, K, hold mail states, Instruct the carrier to place hold mail in a central location only when space is not available at the carrier's case. 
The language indicates the service's intent for carriers to return hold mail directly to their case unless space is not available at the case to store the hold mail. Now, right there, I take pictures of our hold mail. Take pictures of the containers. I put mine in tubs. Some put theirs in flat trays. Some put them in half trays. Uh, Take pictures of the hold mail at the cases so we can show the arbitrator. Look, here's where we put the hold mail at the case. We have space available. Uh, Management will lie on you, and they'll say that they have no space available. That's what they'll say. An advocate is going to lie for management. That's what they do. The B team will lie for management. That's what they do. A formal A will lie for management. That's what they do. The best manager and supervisor you ever had will come in there to arbitration and in your face say they don't have things available at their case for the hold mail. All that's up front. They will lie on you in arbitration. I have seen it over and over and over again. So put pictures in there of hold mails at the carrier's cases, of wherever they hold it. Like I said, I put mine in tubs because I get so much mail. Half trays, full trays, letter trays. Take pictures of those and so that you can sell the arbitrator. What are we looking at here? This is where we keep our hold mail at the case. Okay? And that's going to be beautiful in arbitration. This, Hey, look, this is a headquarters SOP. Let's shove it up their ass, okay? That's what we're going to do with this, all right? This is a headquarters level SOP. Let's kick the shit out of it and let them know, hey, we're not playing down here at this ground level. Anything you do to us, just know that we're going to stick that up your ass. Then it goes on. The union has proven that the service has violated the national agreement by unilaterally changing the established duties of carriers in the Bowling Green installation. The M39 and M41 handbooks both incorporated the national agreement through Article 19, Establish specific instructions for the carrier's performance of PM office duties. The unambiguous language of M41 directs the service to allow the carriers to sort undelivered mail upon completion of their street duties. Although well-intentioned, management at the regional or local level may not institute policies which are in conflict with the M41 handbook. So she just told the area level, hey, look here, we're not doing that shit. Hey, headquarters level, we're not doing that shit, okay? And here's her award. Management violate Articles 3, 5, 15, and 19 of the National Agreement when it implemented the Eastern Area Operation Standard Operating Procedure, Red Line Policy, at the Bowling Green Postal Facility. Management is to cease and assist the application of the SOP and to comply with the M41, allowing letter carriers to return to the handing of PM undeliverable mail in accordance with M41 Section 24. Accordingly, the grievance is sustained. All right? So there's your red line policy. It's coming. I showed you that. It's a, it's a, something we were kind of handed under the table, but there you have it. And I'm going to put that up on from 8arbitration.com. And so it'll let you read it. You can copy whatever you want to. That arbitration decision is in there. Read the issue. Get accustomed to that language, okay? Uh, you, you want to be well-versed in that language. What we do as a letter carrier in the morning and in the afternoon, our duties in the afternoon, where can we find that? She, she goes over every bit of it right there. You get statements, 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 okay? From carriers saying that when we come into the PM, we always go back to our case and we sort the hold mail, the unaddressed mail, whatever, FOE mail. We do those things at our cases. 
take pictures of the case where you have those separations so that you can show the arbitrator, look, here's where we separate those things. It's not up front. Take pictures of your hold mail so that you can show them, hey, look, here's where we take our hold mail. We have containers available for that. It's not up front, okay? Again, this is management attempting to steal time from us. That's all this is, all right? There's your red line policy. Um, so, so tackle that head on. Do not let them do this. <laughs> and if your branch president or formal A says, we'll just wait till they issue discipline, contact your business agent. Go over their head, okay? Like this, this person with this knock and drop packages. Man, you, you killed your carriers when you did that. You killed them when you did that. Look, these memos have come out. Just expect management to do things like this. We've got to be better at protecting our people, man. We have got to do a better job of protecting our carriers on that working floor. What good are we if we're going to do some shit like that saying, hey, just wait till discipline. Man, you've devastated us on this workroom floor. Know that everything management is doing right now is an attempt to steal from us. It's no different than somebody trying to come up and get your wallet and take money out of it. it there's no difference. Are you going to let them do that? No, you're not. So why would you let them do that to your carriers, man? We've got to be better than that. Everything is a fight. Everything is a fight. Everything. We, we've got to understand that. Again, if that's not what you're about, if that's not who you are, man, do, do us a favor and go back to delivering mail. Because everything right now is a fight. Everything. And with that in mind, uh, got into a pretty good conversation on Facebook about some discipline and I'll be done. This went way longer than I'd hoped it would. It's already an hour and 40 minutes, but I did not want it to go that long because I've been hitting y'all with three-hour episodes. Uh, but we, we got to stay educated on this T-Rap, so don't apologize for that because we've got to stay educated on this T-Rap and things that management are going to implement. We've got to be a, a, you know, on the forefront of that, even though it's, we're on the defense uh, all the time because we don't know what they're coming up with. So, so I don't apologize for that. But this here I want to talk about. A gentleman put up some discipline and said that uh, Kerry had driven through a, or an intersection with his door open and no seatbelt on. And management gave him a seven-day suspension and said that there was no live discipline. And so I just simply stated, you know, to me, uh, the contract is clear that you have to make discipline corrective and not punitive. And so to me, if the carrier has no active discipline, which is what the seven-day said, I would see if they had ever been given a discussion. And if they hadn't, then I'm going to ask that it be reduced to an official discussion. A letter of warning at the most. And so this individual replied, another individual replied, so you're saying that for a, a rollaway, they should be given a letter of warning. And I said, well, I've taken one of those to hearing before, and the arbitrator agreed that this one must be corrective and not punitive. And so he comes back. <laughs> I think he's a little hot. So you're telling me that a letter, that a, a um, rollaway, uh, if they issue something higher than a letter of warning, should just be thrown out. And uh, so I said, well, you know, contractually, it says that you have to be corrective and can't be punitive. And on down later on, he was talking, he did his own little thing, and he said that, uh, you know, that's a terrible violation of, uh, 
uh, running through this, uh, going through a stop sign with your door open and your seatbelt on, that's a horrible violation. And I would tell him a letter of warning for a year. And so, you know, that's his business. That's what he wants to do. I pray he's never my shop steward because that's, uh, <laughs> you got to fight for us, right? I mean, I'm fighting for everything. And so let's go over what the contract states about that, okay? Uh, because to me, the contract means more than my opinion and more than management's opinion and more than this gentleman's opinion. That's a brother of mine, you know, so uh, we talked about it. I mean, that's a brother of mine. However he feels, he feels. But the contract means more than what I think or what management thinks, right? And so when you're talking about somebody going through a stop sign with their door open and their seatbelt on, there is no list of violations and how severe they are or how serious they are. There's not. So we have to take all of them and incorporate that into the language of Article 16. Any violation I'm going to incorporate into the, into the language of Article 16, right? And that's what I'm going to tell an arbitrator. There is no list of violations and severity of those except for fighting, theft. Arbitrators will always say that those things warrant removal from the very first thing. But here's what, and I've talked about this in my Just Cause Principles, but when we talk about discipline and the issuance of discipline, I will always make these arguments. On, on any form of discipline, if management attempts to go to bypass corrective discipline. And I always say this, management will always try to scare us into discipline. If you've not been disciplined and they know that their case is weak, you're probably going to see a 14-day or 7-day. Why? Because you take that to the care and they're like, oh, God. I've talked about this very thing in earlier episodes. Management will always attempt to scare us into accepting lesser discipline. You're going to offer, you're going to give me a 14 day, and then you're going to say, "Look, you know, I strongly believe it should be given a 14 day because of the seriousness of it." But I'll take a letter of warning for two years, and most people will say, "I'll take it." You know, this seven day, you know, it's fully warranted. But even though he has no discipline, I'll take a letter of warning for a year. I'll take it. Don't be that way. Don't be that way. Don't fall for that shit. They do that all the time here, and JB tells them, roll it up and shove it up the ass. We don't do that. We're not scared into discipline, right? Don't be that person that's scared into discipline. We'll always use the contract. And what does the very first sentence of Article 16 say? I mean the very first sentence that deals with discipline procedure. It says, in the administration of this article, a basic principle shall be that discipline should be corrective in nature rather than punitive. That's the very first sentence of Article 16. And that's what I'm going to tell an arbitrator. That's the very first sentence. That's the importance they put on corrective rather than punitive. You cannot be punitive with me at any time. And so if you say you, you warrant a seven-day suspension and I have no live discipline, that is punitive right? That's the very first sentence. If you look at the very first sentence of the M39 handbook, section 115, talks about basic principle. What does it state? In the administration of discipline, a basic principle must be that discipline should be corrective in nature rather than punitive. That's the very first sentence of management's handbook. The M39, section 115, talks about discipline. It says must, 
where Article 16 says shall, where it says in the administration of discipline, a basic principle must be. Article 16 says shall be. That's the importance that management puts on it. It's the same language as Article, the first sentence of Article 16. Do not let management try to circumvent that by saying, well, this is so serious it deserved a seven-day. You don't get to make that determination. You're obligated to abide by your handbook and the Joint Contract Administration Manager. You're obligated to do that. It is not your determination of what can be skipped or not. If you look down on page 16.2, corrective rather than punitive. The very first sentence, the requirement that discipline be corrective rather than punitive is an essential element of the just cause principle. In short, it means for most offenses, management must issue discipline in a progressive fashion, issuing lesser discipline, letter of warning, for first offenses, and a pattern of increasingly severe discipline for succeeding offenses. The basis of this principle of corrective or progressive discipline is that it is issued for the purpose of correcting or improving employee behavior and not as punishment or retribution. That's the onus that both parties have put on management being corrective with us when they implement or issue discipline. To not be hoodwinked into accepting discipline because you're scared. If you go to 16.3, examples of behavior. If you go halfway down, management must still meet the requisite burden of proof. Prove that the behavior took place. That it was intentional. And the degree of discipline imposed was corrective rather than punitive. Article 16 is filled with their obligations to be corrective with us. Do not buy this shit of, well, it's a seven day. It's so serious. It warranted a seven day. Don't do that. Don't do that. You fight. Here's what the discipline said. And he just put a little snippet in there. It wasn't, it wasn't much. It's all you had to go on. It says, although you have no previous live discipline. So there's no record, no discipline on this guy's record. No previous live discipline. Your actions in this matter were egregious enough to skip progressive discipline. They do not have the right to do that under Article 16 in their own handbook, M39. They do not have that authority to do that. And that's the argument that I'm going to make when it says that we're egregious enough to skip progressive discipline. They do not have that authority. They can't do it. We've got to make those contentions. And for this brother that said, you know, that's so serious. I'm going to skip, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to plead for a letter of warning for a year. Hey, brother, don't do that, man. You fight for us. You fight for us. Use Article 16 against them. Use their own handbook against them. Okay? Let's fight for our people, man. Don't be scared of discipline. You fight. Okay? Now, that's all we could see. So I don't know what else. There may be a bunch of other stuff in there that we can use. But just based off of that alone. I'm going to say they violated Article 16. I've got the site that I told him about. I said I took a, a roll away to hearing because he was just adamant. So you're telling me a roll away deserves a letter warning. If not, they throw it out. Well, what they do with it is their business, whoever's meeting on it. I just know that I took a, a roll away to arbitration and the arbitrator agreed with me. And it's uh, C30421. C30421. This was back in 2012. And this was uh, me against uh, one of my good friends, Mr. Patton. And my position was, 
Uh, so the union contends the notice of removal was issued without just cause. It was the argument of the union that first, a thorough and objective investigation as outlined in the Joint Contract Administration Manual is not conducted. The union admits the grievance was involved in a rollaway accident that he failed to report it to the employer. However, the union insists that there were when questioned later by management, the grievance was truthful and forthcoming as to what took place. And that was our biggest uh, hiccup was that he had a rollaway. He didn't tell anybody. He just drives it back to the station. And the next day the sub comes out, half the vehicle is missing on one side. <laughs> and it's like it peeled it like a tuna can. And so he reports it. And, and uh, the guy said, yeah, I had a rollaway. So that was our biggest thing to overcome. And then just talked about uh, it is asserted by the unit management's burden of proof carries on after the finding of guilt. In the opinion of the union, that finding must be followed by discipline that is corrective in nature rather than punitive. In support of their argument, the union relies on various sections of the JCAM, which I just read to y'all, as well as the M39 manual, which I read to y'all. And here's what the arbitrator said. In management's position, as mentioned, this is the grievance's fourth accident in three years. However, there's nothing on this record to show that the grievance was either at fault or had been disciplined. This indicates to me that the employer has fallen short in meeting the progressive discipline standard of Article 16. And that's what I'm talking about with this seven-day suspension. Management's fallen short in meeting the progressive discipline standard of Article 16. That would be my first argument on that seven-day. And without a previous record for similar infractions, I do not consider a runaway rollaway one of those egregious acts deserving a removal on the first offense. The progression in this case went from a written warning for a seatbelt infraction to a removal action. The action in this case, given the grievance work record and past discipline or lack thereof in this case, is certainly not deserving a removal action. And then I used their 1769 against them, you know where they have... It says the preventative action be provided training. He says, in fact, the employer's own PS form 1769-301 accident report indicates preventative action to be provide training instruction. That same form did not characterize the action as being serious in nature. This simply does not coincide with the discipline that was issued in this case. Given the fact the accident was labeled as not being serious, I'm the considered opinion that removal action taken by the service in this instance is clearly punitive. And all that was there was on the 1769. We've talked about this before. When you look at it, I think it's number 10 where it says serious accident. It says no. They'll always put no. And then it says preventative action. They always say prevent, tra provide training. I just took both the manager and supervisor, the concurring, the issuing concurring official to that 1769. And I said, so you think that this removal action is warranted? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I said, and, and the reason being it was a rollaway? Yeah. And that he failed to report that? Yeah. I said, so this is pretty serious to you. Well, absolutely it's serious. I said, okay. Well, let's go to the 1769. This your signature right here? Yes, it is. Let's go to number 10. On the day in question, what did you put down when it says serious accident? No. I said, what happened from that time to today? I said, what changed from the day of the accident to now? Because back then you said, no, it's not a serious accident. But here today in front of this arbitrator, all of a sudden your tune's changed. What happened? And they couldn't answer that. Neither one of them could. And also in preventative action to provide training, I said, what happened to that? I said, we'll take that. Provide training, that's what you wrote down, isn't it? Yeah. I said, we'll take that. You still want to do that? No. I said, you want removal still? Yeah. What happened 
from that day to now in front of this arbitrator to where back then you said you wanted some to provide training. Now you want this gentleman removed from his livelihood. What happened? So anyway, that's what happened there. I don't know if I told y'all about this. And sorry, I told y'all I didn't want to go long in here. I'm just one of the funniest things that ever happened in arbitration happened in this case. And I don't, I can't remember if I've ever told y'all about this one or not. But they had this guy come in there. They flew him in to testify, and he could determine whether a vehicle was running. And all of these things, he was an expert at rollaway runaway accidents, and he could tell if a vehicle is actually running. And so he's going to get up there and testify to this. He's an expert witness. And so my buddy, he brings from, from labor, he brings this expert in there. And this expert, he goes on and on and on talking about himself forever. And I look at my branch president who's sitting there with me, and I'm just, I wink at him. And he looks, he kind of squints at me like, what's up? And so I just write on a piece of paper, watch this. And so he looks at me, you know, he's nodding. And uh, so this guy's saying, I've done these, this many accidents. I've done all of this. I've done all of these things. And, uh, you know, so I, I can tell if a vehicle uh, is running when it's a rollaway. I can tell if it was uh, done all these things, if it's a rollaway. I can tell all of these things. And Mr. Patton, he says, so <laughs> on the day in question on this vehicle, uh, can you determine whether or not it was running or not? He says, well, I said, objection. And arbitrator Rob Roberts looks at me. He's like, Mr. Walt. And I said, yes, sir. I said, I have no idea who this guy is right here. He said, what do you mean? I said, never heard of this guy before. I said, I just got a 30 minute diatribe on what he's done, all the things that he's done. I said, his name ain't nowhere in this case file. And he looked at Ronnie Patton. He says, is he in the case file? Ronnie says, well, no, sir. And he said, uh, well, he looked at the guy. He said, sir. He said, you had a short day, didn't you? He said, you're not going to be able to testify here. Ryan's like, he's an expert witness. He said, I don't care. He said, unless he just became an expert today, he should have been in this case file. And so he wouldn't let him testify. <laughs> but that was, Ronnie looked at me like, you son of a bitch, you. But I let this guy go on and on and on and on about how great he was, all this shit. And as soon as he said, well, objection. <laughs> Arbitrator Roberts told him to head on back to the house. But that was just funny to me. That may not be funny to y'all, but then he goes on, talks about the accident. And then he said, the case is certainly deserving of corrected discipline because the guy failed to report the accident. He said, and with that in mind, the removal action of the employer is reduced to a three-day suspension. The grievance shall be made whole in all respects. That's the reason, folks, we do not, do not side with management on discipline. Do not. You fight for everything that you can. Here's a guy who had a rollaway runaway and didn't report it. And we fought that thing. All the way to hearing, we fought it. Of course, it was removal. Had to. So, And the arbitrator reduces it to a three-day suspension because he said the guy should have reported it timely. On this seven-day for going through a stop sign with my seatbelt off and my door open, we shouldn't have done that. But damn, you know... <laughs> To give me a seven-day or to say, I'll agree to a letter warning for a year because that is serious. 
you sound like management. Don't be like that, man. You fight for your people all the time. I don't give a damn what it is. You fight like hell for them. Get into Article 16. Get those provisions out. Show the arbitrator this is what management is tasked with doing with discipline. It must be corrective, and it cannot be punitive. That's the very first sentence. That's the honest they put on it. Management's own handbook, Section 115 and the M39, it states what? The exact same thing that both parties have said in the first sentence of Article 16. That's the importance of management being corrective rather than punitive. Do not help them out in discipline. Do not help them out. Okay? Hopefully all that's made sense to you. But that's just something that came up and I wanted to address it because I can. All right, so what do we have today? T-Rap, we addressed that, okay? Uh, that, that thing that the, my friend wrote, very good. Y'all pay attention to that coming up. Uh, red line policy, it's coming. I showed you that and what we're going to do to defeat it, all right? And then just a little bit of discipline for you. For new shop stewards that may be dealing with some stuff like that, always remember the contract trumps everything. It trumps what we think. It trumps what management thinks, right? The contract trumps it all, okay? So... Uh, next week, we'll get into some more T-Rap. I'm sure there's some things going to come up this week that I'll be addressing. But until then, we're just going to keep fighting. We'll keep fighting. Okay? Keep fighting. All right? So y'all have a fantastic week. T-Rap, Redline, a little bit of discipline for you today. All right? Y'all take care of yourselves, and I'll holler at y'all next Sunday. All right?